Pablazo profundo por el derecho. ¡Olvídala! ¡Esta se va! ¡Se va! ¡Y se fue! ¡Échale eso! ¡Eso es un jorrón! Okay, episode 30 of the Bomber Brothers podcast is here. It's Sean and Ryan with you, and we have an exciting guest coming up later in the episode, Ricky Ricardo, the Spanish voice of the Yankees and the Philadelphia Eagles, who many may have heard a couple weeks ago on the Cody Parkey missed field goal, but he also has a bunch of legendary Yankee calls, and he joined us to talk about what is behind some of those calls, and he was Awesome to talk to, Sean, and I'm excited to play that interview. And um, yeah, I think that I think that was one of our uh, most exciting guests in recent memory. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I was pumped up for it. Obviously, I was talking about it for a while, uh, how excited I was. And uh, I know in our group chat, as soon as there's a big moment, I always try to send over the the Ricky video uh, or the Rick the Ricky call. Uh, he has some really good ones, and uh, I'm excited to, to play that interview. And it was really fun to talk to him, too. I thought he had some good and real insights on the team um, for how they're currently constructed and, and what might be up up their sleeves. So, yeah, I definitely thought it was a good good interview. And uh, honestly, besides having Ricky Ricardo on, there's not a whole bunch of uh, baseball news going on. Jared Saltalamacchia retired yesterday. Uh, so that <laughs> That seems to be the biggest piece of baseball news going on right now. Um, as well, that that's something, yeah. Yeah. As we well, announced. MLB The Show apparently is going to break the Bryce Harper news today. <laughs> yeah, it's, it said, be sure to keep an eye on this account tomorrow, and had a picture of Harper on it, so not exactly sure what that means. Maybe it's a big announcement that they've decided they can't wait any longer to see where he signs, and they're just going to have him wear um, an MLB logo on his hat when he's put on the cover. Yeah, I, I I don't know. That's that's a tough call for them. I mean, I that's kind of the first thing I thought of was how long would this this have to drag out for um before he uh you know, before they before they have to make a decision. I mean, it'd be kind of cool if you had one like of him after he hits like in the home run derby just like his back with his number and and name on the back with like the american flag sleeve that he had on because that was pretty cool look for the derby definitely looked pretty badass yeah yeah i agree do something do something like that because i know i remember the puig one he had with his his two arms in the air and it was just the back it said puig like they could obviously photoshop it and like gray out the colors or something like that to make it look pretty generic yeah it'll look like like one of those commercials you see some yankees on when the product that they're advertising clearly doesn't have the licensing for the Yankee logo, so they're just in, like, plain uniform. I think I remember a Carlos Beltran one like that a few years ago when he's, like, taking batting practice. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was, like, well, some the, kind of knockoff five-hour energy or something right, like I was that. Gonna, yeah, I was going to say the Altuve five-hour energy one. They don't even have, yeah, like, that, the city <laughs> or anything. It's just, like, an orange jersey. Yep. Um, so, that yeah, that that would work. Um that, that yeah, that would work. So um, you know, last week we were pretty pumped up about the Hall of Fame. At least we had that to talk about, and and two two moves with Odovino. And um, by the way, that picture that he put out of him and David Cohn was was awesome. Oh yeah, that, uh, was, that was great. Uh, Cohn's outfit choices back then were definitely interesting. Yeah, and he even said, "I, I love that sweater." So he's he's <laughs> upset. He, Some. Someone replied to the picture. I forgot to tell you, but I know you would appreciate it. He, someone replied and said, Coney, wearing sweaters like that is why you didn't have your own dance <laughs> because of the El Duque commercial. That, that's a fan right there. Yeah, yeah that's, that was, that's that was a good. classic commercial. Um, so we were, well, anyway, to get back on track, we were, we were talking about the Hall of Fame. And one thing we didn't talk about was I think Andy Pettit got about 9% of the vote. 
Um, what's what's your take on Mr. Pettit getting getting that low of a vote? I mean, he he has some some pretty historic postseason numbers. Um, a lot of that is compiled, but a lot of that is also from some pretty impressive starts. Um, but he is he does have 256 career wins and a 3.85 ERA. Um, pitched most of his career in the American League East and through the steroid era, but he. Um, has used performance-enhancing drugs, which he's admitted to. So what's your take on um, on the Yankees' all-time strikeout leader? Yeah, that's I, – I don't think I don't think his chances are very good. Um, Bond, you, you look at guys like Bonds and Clemens who are at the center of the PED debate, and they have been making small increments of improvement. They're up to 59% now, and that's taken them a few years. And those are also – the two of the best players ever at their respective positions. So when you have that PED cloud or whatever you want to say over Pettit, who I think without the PED talk would still be a marginal Hall of Famer, that makes it even harder for him. And yeah, he does have the the postseason success. He's the winningest pitcher in postseason history. Um, And I mean, he still does have an, an interesting case. His um, I think his career FIP is under 375. That's better than you know a handful of Hall of Famers that are in right now. Same thing with same thing with his career WAR. That's that's better than um, let's see. That's better than his his career WAR is better than 22 starting pitchers that are currently in the Hall of Fame. So that's you know that also makes an intriguing case for him and for a lot of the a lot of the traditional voters who may still put some kind of weight on wins Pettit has one of the better winning percentages than a good amount of Hall of Famers and a lot of that probably had to do with the offense is that he was pitching uh behind but it but you know you you look at how he opened up and I don't think it looks very good for him yeah I, I don't see him making making enough of a of a jump to get to get up there and um you know that I know we've talked about it before. That's that's okay. That um, you know that that he's not on there. He's just he's one of our guys, one of our favorite players. But I think that's kind of what made him special was that he wasn't a Hall of Fame talent, but he could go out there in the biggest moments and give you a Hall of Fame performance. As corny as that sounds, as I said it, but um, yeah, I mean that that's what made Pettit special was he was a grinder. He, uh, you know, I he, we were I was talking about Mariano and we were saying how, you know, he made it look so easy. And and I think that's why I liked guys like Pettit and Posada a lot is they didn't really make it look so easy, but they were tough and that, you know, that that's fun to watch. And, but that has its place too. And I think, um, I'm surprised he didn't get more of a percentage, but I never thought he'd be, be a hall of famer for sure. Cause I, I mean, you know, he is borderline if he's clean, but not, not going to make it most likely. And, but everybody loves Andy Pettit that's ever spoken to him. He's kind of like Mariano. Um, so I was surprised he didn't get a little bit more uh, play in the voting. But Yeah, I just I – also it, the, the end result would be the same anyway. Sorry. So, yeah. No, okay. I, I also think that um, his percentage probably had to do with the rest of the ballot this year. This this was a, a pretty stacked ballot. I think, I think all four players that got in were – should have been first ballot Hall of Famers. Maybe except Moose. I, I still think Moose yeah. should have got in earlier than he did. But I think I think all those guys were Hall of Famers. I think you could have made a case for Larry Walker to get in. I think you could have made a case for um, – Well who – Who am I blanking on right now? Fred um, McGriff? Yeah, Fred McGriff, the crime dog. So um, there were a lot of names on there that probably took up a lot more votes. Let me – I was texting with um, – with our teammate Ibby about this. What do you think about the fact that guys like Tat, Todd Helton and Larry Walker get their performance at Coors Field, which is insane, held against them? I mean, it's not a performance-enhancing drug thing because they play baseball games there. It's not mm-hmm. like they're doing anything wrong by playing there. It's not their fault that they were selected to play at Coors Field. And I mean, 
home road splits are 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 one thing, but there's a lot of hitters that just hit better at home. Look at Aaron Judge. I mean, if you look at his home road splits, he's not very good on the road, right? So, but if when Judge's day comes, they're not going to be like, oh, he played half his career in Yankee Stadium, so we're not even going to talk about him. Larry Walker was a tremendous hitter. Um, I don't ever heard any steroid stuff about him. What what do you think about the kind of disinterest that these Coors Field players have? It's not, you know. It's not their fault that they play some uh, in a place where Major League Baseball put a team where there's thin air. Yeah, I agree. I they're just, you know, they're just a victim of circumstance, really. It's like you said, it's not it wasn't um I mean unless you have players agreeing to re-sign in Colorado, it's really not a matter really not a matter of choice, but they they clearly I think the voting has shown that they do face an uphill climb when they're trying to get into the Hall of Fame because they they basically played their career um, calling Coors Field their home field. And, I mean, Larry Walker, his career wars was almost 75. He was a four-win player uh, ten times in his career. I mean, that's insane. That's, that's to me, that to me, Larry Walker's a Hall of Famer. I, I, w- I would have to deal... Um, or not deal. I would have to research. I guess his road splits. I'm not sure what it was. I'm trying to look it up right now. I mean, he he did play ten seasons in Colorado, so a a one point one seven two OPS in his career against Coors. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it's still. It, I mean, it's still to me. I just I think that's a that can't be a disqualifier because they you know. Baseball put a team there. You can't punish a guy for playing in his home ballpark. Uh, yeah, that, no, those, those stats count. Look at it. Hey, yeah, look at this. An, an 890 OPS on the road during his nine full season with the Rockies. I mean, that's it's nothing to sneeze at. No, his one of his best years, 1997. He slugged 733 with 29 home runs in his road games that year. Not so bad. I mean, that's just some. Sometimes Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame players just happen to play up play for the Rockies and their and their home numbers are even better than a normal Hall of Famer but looking at those numbers I'd I'd say Larry Walker is is definitely deserving but but I you know I get it that's such that's such a huge narrative around players on the Rockies I mean it's all we talked about when the Yankees signed LeMahieu talking about his road splits and you know how a guy with not much power hitting 16 home runs in a full season with the Rockies probably didn't uh, spell well for his upcoming year with the Yankees. That remains to be seen, but it's it's an unavoidable narrative. So I think Larry Walker will eventually get in, though. Not not sure about Todd Helton. Oh, I hope Larry Walker gets in. Todd Helton is always a big fantasy guy for me, but oh, yeah. um, you know we'll see. But looking ahead, I know you wanted to talk about your boy, so why don't you uh, why don't you lead us in the the turn two because you're wearing a turn two shirt? Oh yeah, you got a, you got a haircut that's very reflective of Derek Jeter's <laughs> haircut. I see. Um, oh well, it used to be a lot weirder when I was a kid. I used to only wear Fila gear when, at baseball because that was uh, Jeter, who he had an endorsement deal with. We were, I remember. We were weird. I think we've already mentioned on this podcast how well we just talked about Pettit, but. Our other brother Kyle's favorite player was Pettit, so he would he would watch Channel Forty Six on the TV, even though it was like C-SPAN two or something like that. Yeah, it was pretty. Um, yeah, I'm surprised I don't know more about politics because of Kyle, but <laughs> that's all right. Um, yeah, we did some weird stuff. I mean, you know, I still wear number twenty four to this day. Yeah, that's I, and I am the same with num- with number two. But um, speaking, yeah, speaking of number two, so um, I think we're still, I think our excitement for Mariano is is definitely still there, getting the first unanimous vote ever, which is still incredible to think about when you consider all the legendary players that have been elected to the Hall of Fame since uh, the 1930s. But next year, Jeter comes on the ballot, and and now the question becomes, can there be two straight unanimous um, selections after there weren't any over the first 70, 
over the first 80 years of the Hall of Fame's existence. So do you see Jeter getting the unanimous vote next year, knowing that in ter- when you look at them based on their positions, I mean, Mariano was clearly the more dominant player, but, you know, Jeter was, I, I think, well, here, I'll just let you give your opinion first. So, so what do you think? Does Jeter get 100% of the vote? No, I don't think so. I have a couple of reasons why, but uh, what do you think? I don't think he will either. I just think, I just think he'll get. I think I could see him getting like ninety nine percent, and a couple people leave him off because of his, uh, you know, they'll they'll bring up his defense or something like that. But I think it also helps that Jeter was seems to be universally loved by by the press, and I think that's something that helped Mariano too, because not only was he the most dominant closer ever, but everybody loved him. And you look at some people who should have been unanimous votes that didn't get it, guys like Ted Williams or Joe DiMaggio, they were not the nicest people when it came to reporters. And just looking at Jeter's farewell season in 2014 and just how the press, how much they ate that up and gave all their tribute stories about him. So I think there would be a possibility there, but that could change when you get to voters outside of the tri-state area, and I, I could see a couple people leaving him off. But I think the important thing is that he's going to get in. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, so who really cares? But, you know, we need stuff to talk about at this time of year. He will definitely be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I um, I don't think the press likes him as much as you think they do. Well, maybe not I, anymore because his well, the narrative around him's changed a little bit because of his early – moves in Miami and stuff like that well not only that but I think when he launched the Players Tribune you saw a lot of writers come out and complain about that and they thought it was a shot at their livelihood um and you've seen and this is the thing about the like when I think about Mariano and his relationship with the press nobody tried to like take a side swipe at him like I've never seen that but I've you know you've seen that with Jeter over the years like his criticism of how he handled when a rod came over uh to new york um and i think that's partially fair um oh yeah i, I do but too. I, a, a little overblown but also partially fair and obviously when he launched the players tribune that that was a big thing as well the way that his coverage and you know handling with the marlins duties uh as well you've seen like these little cracks of where you can tell guys are fed up and i think it stems from I, Jeter, to me, that I can remember, was the first guy that perfected the non-answer in his interviews. Oh, yeah. Um, and now you see that a, a lot more uh, in baseball. But I think that kind of frustrated a lot of the press corps. And there's always been this sort of like respect but also icy relationship. So I think you'll have a writer – and I'm not saying this is right. I think this is wrong – who will say, you know what? This guy's going to get in anyway, but he really ticked me off. Like he never gave me any real answers or you know, he launched this site and he thinks you know, he thinks like my career is meaningless. So I'm not going to vote for him and I can justify it by bringing up his defense or something like that because I think there's some cracks in, in, in Jeter's game. Um, obviously, you know, you can look at that statistically, but to quote, I think what Ryan Rucco tweeted, um, the night of his last home game, that if you try to judge Derek Jeter by his statistics, then you're, you're really missing all the fun. And, and that's true. I think he deserves to be a first ballot hall of famer. Um, I think he's no doubt a hall of famer, so everybody should vote for him. But I think that people are vindictive and, um, you know, he'll he'll have a couple people that might not be so happy with him, not vote for him. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember who it was. I think it came out in his farewell season. But they said it was it was someone who was writing one of his tribute farewell things to Jeter, and he said how Jeter would, if you knocked on his door for an interview, Jeter would talk to you for as long as you wanted through the screen door, but wouldn't let you inside. And um, that's probably accurate. Like you said, he never really gave the press anything and to be Mm -hmm. honest in with the way (laughs) with the way some of the media um tear into stuff and and make stories out of anything i I guess i don't really blame him for having that defense mechanism i mean it definitely helped him for 20 years in terms of avoiding negative press for the most part but but i i I would yeah i I would also agree i i could see a couple voters leaving him off he definitely doesn't have the 
dominant, overpowering case that Mariano did, but still first ballot material. Oh, yeah. I mean, with without a doubt, for sure. I mean, you know, and, and just just as impressive numbers in, in the postseason. Well, maybe not, because, I mean, Mariano actually got better in October. Jeter's career average in October goes down by, I think, point oh oh one. Yeah, yeah. It went down by one point. So... Uh, yeah, I, I guess we can't. He, he he's about the same when the competition gets harder. Mo was actually better, but still, uh, you know, he's captain clutch, and uh, obviously, this year we'll uh, get a lay of the land for Cooperstown, so to speak, with Mo and Moose. And then next year, by the time Jerry gets in, we'll be uh, we'll be ready to go, and and we'll be there. But yeah, I th- I think some of the stuff that he's um, you know been slighted with, or or you know, some of the stuff in Miami is pretty hard to take in um oh yeah but I, I, but you know but well go ahead i try to separate that from the memories of him as him as a player uh you know my favorite player has done some pretty shitty things after he <laughs> retired as well unfortunately uh, a lot of people can say that and that's just the nature of professional sports i guess these these guys are some of them are human beings and then some of them just turn out to be really shitty people overall i.e john wetland but luckily well not yeah many but that's a whole that's a whole new bowl game though yeah exactly but you know of of course it's disappointing to see what's going on in, in miami with jeter and you want him to succeed and not fire people and, and, in the hospital yeah like yeah that, stuff yeah. stuff like that but also you know uh he's once, once you just accept the fact that even though you idolize them and they're your heroes, like they're still human beings, they make mistakes too, and they can come off as, you know, cold people sometimes, like everyone else can at times. So I, I hope things turn around down there. But in terms of his Hall of Fame case, I don't think that is going to affect him very much. Yeah, it's like it just might affect the unanimous thing, but anything else, no problems there. Yeah, and I can't say, given Jeter's relationship with, with the press, I don't think he cares if he's unanimous or not. I don't think he's ever really cared what the press wrote about him. At least it doesn't seem that way. Yeah, I I think he just cared about, like, I, I know, there. I forget who wrote it, but the one guy tweeted something about the first time he brought Hannah Davis around, and then he like sat him down and was like, well, how do you think that made her feel when you wrote that? But that that's fine. Just protecting his woman. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think, I think Jeter's shown his whole career and immediately after with the players tribune thing that he, um, even though he gave them the time of day that he probably wasn't always thrilled to sit down and talk to the press and have them try to, you know, dissect his life like the press you know, does when it comes to the biggest star in the biggest city in the country, which Jeter was for almost 20 years. So the Hall of Fame is determined by the media and the writers. So whether he's unanimous or not, I don't think he'll lose any sleep over it, nor will I or you, because we he's, he's going to get in. It might not be 100%, but hey, a Yankee already owns a the only 100% vote that there is. That's that's right. Mo Mo broke it down, so close that one out too, as somebody tweeted. So good for good for him. All right. Well, uh, well, one of one of our guests this week's favorite calls was of uh, at Jeter's last game, which was one of our favorite moments to be at at the new Yankee Stadium. And Ricky Ricardo talked about that call and many of his other legendary calls that he's had as the Spanish voice of the Yankees. So let's play that interview now. So here is Ricky Ricardo. Okay, we are joined now by Ricky Ricardo. You can catch his Spanish play-by-play on WFAN and the Spanish voice of the Yankees. Ricky, thanks so much for coming on and talking with us. All right, so um, first, let's get a couple of your Yankee thoughts before we talk about you personally as a broadcaster. But what do you make of the Yankees' offseason so far? Are you feeling confident in the, their additions to the rotation and the current state of the infield? How would you? What, what would be your overall grade, I guess, of the Yankees' offseason so far? I will. I'll give Brian Cashman, whom I trust with my life, <laughs> okay? 
With my life, I trust Brian Cashman. I will give him a B plus so far because I'm I'm not convinced that he's finished yet. I love the re-signing of Jay Happ. I think Jay Happ in a mid-30s body has a upper 20s arm. And albeit the not very good start against the Red Sox, nobody had a good start against the Red Sox. Let's face it, guys. The Red Sox were just an unstoppable, you know, basically an unstoppable machine this year uh, in, the, uh, in the postseason. So... Uh, having said that, I think Greg, uh, I, I think Jay Happ is going to come back and have an incredible season with the Yankees. Uh, signing CC Sabathia as basically your either fifth starter or maybe even sixth starter, uh, I think was smart for the money. Um, you can't really go wrong there. I, I'm just not convinced that with the glut of all-star caliber infielders that they have right now with the DJ LeMajor signing. That I, I'm just not convinced that Cashman is finished just yet. I think there might be one more big move in his uh, up his sleeve, in his hip pocket. Could it be Corey Kluber with maybe Miguel Antohar involved, you know, which would settle the infield situation if you want to look at it that way? Would that require them to get into the Machado sweepstakes to make him your third baseman for the next umpteen years? But I, I'm just not totally convinced that he's finished yet. But everything that he's done so far, uh, I, I think, is a positive for this ball club. So uh, moving over to the outfield, do, do you think maybe the Yankees should have uh, looked for some other potential upgrades in left field considering the regression Brett Gardner showed? He's getting up there in age. He isn't necessarily seen as an everyday player anymore. So what do you think about the outfield and and, uh, and Cashman's comments about how the outfield is actually a little too crowded for a guy like Bryce Harper? Well, remember, you've got the return of a supposedly healthy, and I say supposedly because we've heard this on several occasions, but a supposedly healthy Clint Frazier. If Clint Frazier does come back healthy, I think we've seen enough of Clint Frazier's at-bats and the way he plays that if he is over these concussion symptoms and, and over that situation, Clint Frazier could be a major contributor to the Yankee outfield. And the forgotten name, guys, the forgotten name, who is also supposedly, and I'm going to use that word again, supposedly healthy, is one Jacoby Ellsbury, who basically hasn't played what in the last couple of years just to have a cup of coffee uh, with the team. But Jacoby Ellsbury, who still has some time and big money left on that contract, look, he's going to show up to, you know, to spring training camp here in Florida in just a, you know, a matter of a couple of weeks, and he's going to be vying for an outfield spot. So when Brian Cashman talks about the glut of outfielders, it's just not Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, Aaron Hicks, and Brett Gardner. You've got to throw into the mix a Clint Frazier, who this team from the beginning since they acquired him, looked at as a, a possible fixture in the outfield. And Jacoby Ellsbury, a guy you're paying a, a large amount of money to, and you know an ex-MVP in the American League, if he comes back healthy and can contribute anything, then you know who knows how that's going to shake out. So uh, I, I think the Bryce Harper comments are, are based more on the fact that there are a lot of bodies that are under contract, and especially the young one in Clint Frazier, Aside from a guy like Frazier, and maybe like I mentioned uh, when we spoke about the infield and Andohar being involved in a deal, you know, if, if, if they stay put, these are the guys that are going to show up to, uh, to Steinbrenner Field in the Yankee Complex here in a couple of weeks, then there's going to be a battle for starting jobs. Right, and you know, Ricky, you've you know, you actually have went as they say viral recently uh, with your no senior call, call of the missed Parky Field goal, and then there was the uh, the C senior call uh, last season with um, I think Jake Elliott hitting a sixty one yarder against the Giants, and, and all of your calls uh, for the Yankees, especially last season and the postseason and throughout this year, have also gained a lot of popularity, not not just among Spanish speakers, but also among English speakers as well. Um, what do you think it is about your calls that, that kind of lend themselves to have this appeal across all audiences where you're so well-respected amongst two, two different language bases? Well, I would hope, number one, that the fact that I'm really, you know, your crossover broadcaster and have been for many, many years, let's start there because, you know, I've been on the radio in New York City in English 
with a very high-rated program, actually number one for a couple of years before you guys were, you know, even a glimmer in your parents' eyes. I'm talking about going back <laughs> to 19, in 1981, uh, I was number one at night in New York for about three straight years playing, you know, disco music at WBLS. So, you know, my broadcast history has always been one of both English and Spanish. Uh, the hybrid format which exists in New York today and in Philadelphia uh, that's called Mega, which is also a top five rated format, is a format that, that I was one of the founders of. Uh, and what I noticed was becoming more and more of a bilingual society here in the Northeast. And then when I shifted my focus over to sports in 2005 in Miami, when the, uh, at that time Florida Marlins gave me a chance, uh, to dip myself into the into the broadcast booth while still doing music, uh, I think that that young third fourth generation Latino in South Florida and in the Northeast, which are very similar, obviously, uh, who understand both, uh, followed me through, and the energy and the passion. I, I think even if you don't speak Spanish, you can tell from number one the result of the play i mean who doesn't understand senor and no senor i mean they're very basic so at the same time that it's a very simple call for my english speakers to understand and know what i'm trying to say at the same time remember i'm trying to teach a spanish language audience what the game of football is all about so my broadcast to the Spanish audience is very, very, and I hate to use the word dumbed down. I'm not going to, it's simplified. Let's put it that way. It's simplified so they can learn the game. So, si, senor, no, senor, in your mind's eye, if, as you watch the field, remember, my call is distancia, dirección, si, senor, no, senor, which means distance, direction. So I'm guiding you through the kick because most of my Spanish-speaking audience is learning the game. So on radio and theater of the mind, the kick has got the distance, does it have the direction, and then I give you the answer, si, senor, no, senor. It's very easy for the Spanish-speaking listener to, to identify with and to relate and to understand if the kick is good. And at the same time, the English-language listener you know, basically understands, si, senor, no, senor, it's good, it's not good. You feel the passion in my voice. You know the situation of the game, what it counts, uh, you know, what it counts for. For for example, that parking kick, we knew that was moving on into the playoffs. The 61-yard kick was a record breaker at the, at the time, a division game against the Giants. So when you look at it from, from both sides, there's meaning and, and there is an intent uh, for both my English-speaking audience, my Spanish-speaking audience, and the two have met on that bridge, and it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you talk about the, the passion and excitement that you show, and that, that's something that definitely got me really interested in, in your career and listening to more of your calls. And, and the first one I remember hearing was the Derek Jeter final game walk-off. And my, my wife actually is a native Spanish speaker, and I was like, I need to understand what he's saying. <laughs> so, like, that's how I started to actually learn, learn Spanish. Um, right. But, um, you know, you got to call that great moment uh, for Jeter, and then there were so many good moments in the playoffs last year. But do you have a, a favorite moment that you've called for the Yankees uh, in your in your time with them? Uh, you know, from the Yankee calls, it may have been uh, the, the A Rod's home run. I think it was his, his three thousand hit was a home run, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, guys? Yes. Yep. Opposite yeah, field. Alex Rodriguez's home run, which was also his three thousand hit. That moment right there, I, you know, I, I developed a good relationship with A-Rod uh, in our days together in the, in the Yankee clubhouse. And, and to watch the pure joy of, uh, of A-Rod not only getting the 3,000 hits, but having it be a home run, I, I think that was about believing. But I'm just thinking that was at Fenway Park, um, you know, which in a historic setting. That one stands out to me, but obviously. Uh, you know the creme de la creme, the uh, the LeBron James of all my calls has, has been the uh, the Cody Parkey here. That that thing just uh, went over the top, and I really do appreciate you know all the great attention that that, that brought to the Eagle Spanish broadcast. Oh yeah, I, I mean absolutely. That was that was you know coast to coast, getting getting a ton of play. Yeah, uh, but I mean in, in addition to your to your kind of catchphrase of you know catcher lace the song. Um, you also have some personalized home run calls, I've noticed. Um, I know you, when Didi Gregorius hits a home run, you do the D D D D 
and right. when mm-hmm. Greg Bird hit the home run against the Indians in the playoffs last year, he said El Pajaro Valando Alto. Yeah, I'm just wondering, how do you come up with these calls? Do you and John Sterling ever trade notes on some of them? You know, I, I, I do channel my inner John Sterling at times, and you know, when you're on the road with a guy like him, uh, you know, as long as we are all season long, and, and we exchanged notes. Obviously, I got a blessing from him to be able to go into that. I wasn't about to do it without consulting with, with a guy like John, whom uh, you know, I've developed a close friendship with here over the years as we broadcast Yankee baseball together in different languages. But it, it, look, it's entertainment. The audience seems to like it. Uh, and in today's society where you know, everything is just so generic, let's bring some of the passion back to some of the things we love. Why not? You know, let's identify once again with that guy that's that's speaking to us on the radio. I I, I do my broadcast from the mindset of the fan, and you know, if I can relate to that guy, if I can get as excited as the guy that's delivering the call to me, and and I can pass along something that might stay in like like you right now. You just you just quoted to me a couple of calls that you know uh, I I don't write these things down. These are just things that, that, that come to my head in that moment of, of excitement and that moment of passion for the play and what's happening on the field. And, and there are a lot of guys, you know, that I've become close to in the clubhouse and we've developed friendships. And, for example, Didi Gregorius, you know, one of the things that when you're humming along to a song in your mind, you go, because you like a certain song. And that's what clicked in my head about, the, you know, I can sing along to every time when this guy does something good. <laughs> and, it, and it just, it, it works. And I'm glad people are enjoying it. I, oh, absolutely. And, you know, one thing I also noticed listening to some of your broadcasts are there's some baseball terms, um, there's English baseball terms that don't translate, I guess, to Spanish because I've heard you in English use the term payoff pitch or, or center field. Mm-hmm. Right. Are there some Spanish terms that maybe wouldn't translate Spanish baseball terms that wouldn't translate to English that you would use that maybe an English listener wouldn't be able to directly translate, sort of like vice versa? There are a few, uh, you know, uh, an outfielder being called a jardinero. I mean, I, I, you know, I'd have to sit there and explain to you what the heck I'm talking about in English. Uh, there, there are some phrases. Remember, baseball is really the crossover sport for years and years and years. Uh, You know, it's been listened to in both languages, in Mexico, in the Caribbean, in Cuba, where we have such a rich history, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, the Dominican Republic. And the Spanish announcers historically have always used uh, the English terms. And then over the years have developed some of the guys where in the countries where they have their own particular leagues in Dominican and Puerto Rico, uh, you know, places where where they have winter leagues that are very, very well attended, they've created their own vocabulary. But when it comes to major league baseball and you're broadcasting a Yankees game, a Dodgers game, uh, you know, so be it, any one of the major league teams, traditionally, most Latino announcers have used uh, a 90 to 95% ratio of the English language terminology, and I continue to do that. If it were the other way around, believe me, we wouldn't have enough time here for me to explain some of the, uh, some of the, you know, uh, exclusive Spanish names for certain places. I don't do that because I think my audience in the Northeast, especially in New York, is a very assimilated audience, and those that aren't are trying to get assimilated. So I'm not trying to go backwards. I'm trying to go forwards as far as progress of getting comfortable with the English language and English terms. So I, I think it's better for me to be decide a little bit more on the crossover side than on the traditional side. So, Ricky, you've uh, you've previously mentioned how you, in a way, felt like you became Yankees with guys like Luis Severino, Gary Sanchez. Uh, we mentioned Andujar, and that you know you you have a certain comfort level with them that other people in the media who Spanish isn't their first language might not have. And uh, just what are your overall impressions on those guys, and maybe specifically Sanchez? You, you see a lot of unfortunate narratives kind of surround Sanchez sometimes when. You know, a, a lot of people might argue that he's just misunderstood and that he's just an awesome talent. So, just what are your overall thoughts on on Sanchez and and some of the unwarranted heat that he sometimes has? Well, McGarry and I have developed. 
developed a close friendship here since uh, he first arrived on the major league scene. You got to remember, this is a guy that the Yankees signed at 16 years of age in the Dominican Republic, and I think a lot of pressure was put on his shoulders early on when he was looked at as the future behind the plate of the New York Yankees. And, you know, not everyone matures at the same speed as, as the guy next to them. And maybe Gary and his work ethic took a year or two more in the minor league uh, as far as his progression, not only as a baseball player, but just as a man. Now you're talking about a guy who sometimes slips into some of these little things, maybe not running out of ball, but I mean, who doesn't? We're looking at a guy like Manny Machado right now who just admitted that he's not Mr. Hustle or whatever the term it was that he used. Uh, I think Gary Sanchez is an immensely talented young man. He plays a position that's very, very demanding. Uh, and, and I think to a certain level, yes, there is some level of misunderstanding. I'm not going to pull punches. There have been times that I've gotten frustrated with, with Gary. Uh, the game in Tampa Bay this past year where, you know, there was a couple of incidents that if he would have run out a ball, maybe or chased after a ball or whatever it was a little bit harder, that maybe the result would have been different. But all in all, uh, you know, if you, if you measure... Uh, the times that he frustrates you to the times that you're, you know, so happy with his result, I think that he much outweighs the frustration with his production. And now as a young father, as a married man, I think we're watching the maturity of Gary Sanchez right before our very eyes. He's a sweetheart of a guy. He's a tremendous competitor. I think he's just going to get better and better as the years go on. All right, uh, last thing for you, Ricky. Uh, just looking forward to the 2019 season, just a few weeks away from spring training. What what are you most looking forward to from the Yankees this year in terms of what you're hoping to see from them uh, from up there in the broadcast booth? Well, it's a 100-win team that is going to come back for more. It is not easy to get to 100 wins uh, no matter what. The, uh, the American League should be uh, improved. You, you've got the Orioles that have a, a complete makeover as far as their management is concerned, coaching staff and some of their young players that we might be seeing for the first time. The Toronto Blue Jays, they've gone through a managerial change. Uh, that's an organization that historically is not afraid to spend money. It's not afraid to, uh, to make the necessary moves to become a better ball club. The Tampa Bay Rays are an intriguing organization. They always seem to get it done. A very innovative manager in Kevin Cash. You know, they're always going to battle. And the Boston Red Sox are just loaded with talent left and right. You know, their roster hasn't been completed yet. I think Kimbrell may eventually re-sign there. And, you know, when you're talking about people like Chris Sale and and a great, great manager in Alex Cora, a, a, a new wave type of manager like Aaron Boone is with the Yankees, I think it's going to be a very challenging American League once again with at the top tier. I think there are some teams that are you're going to see regress, like the Seattle Mariners. I'm not convinced the Oakland A's will be as good as they were this past year, losing guys like Jed Lowry, and, and it'll remain to be seen if they'll be able to replace some of those people. Uh, but I do think that at the upper echelon of the American League, when you're talking Yankees, Astros, Red Sox, uh, you have got some of the more powerful teams in all of Major League Baseball. I think some of the moves that Brian Cashman has made, although very right-handed, there's not a lot of left-handed power uh, in this Yankee uh, lineup right now or on this roster, but that's tailored to the David Prices and, and Chris Sales of the Red Sox and some of the talented left-handed pitching that they face throughout the season. It remains to be seen if there's enough balance in the Yankee lineup to get them you know, back to 100 wins. Remember, they set a record for home runs, all-time you know, record for home runs hit by a team. So they set the bar pretty high. Uh, and I'm interested to see in spring training how this team gels and how the youngsters that you mentioned, like the Severinos, Sanchez, Glaber, Torres, Miguel Andujar, you know, hopefully there's not many sophomore slumps. These guys continue to grow and, and just get better and better. And it, it'll be interesting to see if this team can overtake Boston and do some damage in the postseason. All right, that's Ricky Ricardo, the voice of the Yankees and Eagles on uh, Spanish-language broadcast, where his energy is just infectious energy. Ricky, thank you so much. We really appreciate it.
right, huge thanks to Ricky Ricardo. Awesome stuff. He was incredibly fun to talk to. And Sean, you got to love his positivity. He's got the in cash we trust mindset and seems to think that, excuse me, that the Yankees aren't done yet. So what about you? Do you think that Cashman could still have some surprise moves up his sleeve? And if one of them could even be Machado or Harper? It sounded like Ricardo thought that when he said he thinks Cashman's not done yet, it sounded like he maybe thought that there could still be a trade for like, a, you know, um, Corey Kluber or something like that. But I mean, that, that is a possibility. That's yeah, that wouldn't be, uh, that would be nice, but um, I'm not sure what, what will shake out. Um, we've seen some, some big moves happen in spring training. Um, you know, I know they got Knobloch late in 98 first day of spring training. They traded for Clemens um, they signed uh, the National League home run leader in the beginning of spring training of 2017. That didn't really work out with Chris Carter. No. Um, but, um, I, you know, I, I don't think Cashman's ever ever finished. And, and I trust the moves that Cashman makes, but I don't know what kind of financial backing he is. He has um, to maneuver right now. But the roster as it's constructed is kind of clunky, especially when you look at the infield. And the outfield, and, and you know, Ricky kind of um, a- acknowledged that. There's a lot of ifs in the outfield with the injury history. And, you know, I, I don't count on Jacoby Ellsbury. Clint Frazier's still young enough for me to think that maybe, you know, it's not a pattern yet. Obviously, a head injury is kind of an isolated – well, not isolated, but it's a, you know, a freak thing that uh, it's not like he didn't stretch enough to get a concussion. There's nothing that he can do about it, despite what Michael Kay might say. Um so I, I think there are some things to work out. The team is extremely right-handed um, and has too many second basemen, um, too many infielders without a position, really, too many poor defensive infielders. So I'm not sure if he clears out maybe Andujar uh, in a trade for a big pitcher and that opens up a spot for a better defensive third baseman in Machado or if maybe he moves on from Clint Frazier um, and goes and signs um, – Goes and signs Harper. What if, what if he were to clear out Clint Frazier and get somebody to take on the Ellsbury contract in that move? Good luck. And well, <laughs> I mean, you get a prospect for only what two more years of Ellsbury. It's not a really bad yeah. deal, and and then you can go out and sign Harper with the savings. I mean, I, I think there's there's a couple interesting things Cashman can do. Do you think he actually would go through with any anything like I just said? Uh, I think I think the crucial part and. In- what you said is does he have the financial backing because i think cashman has shown that he wants to put out the best team possible no matter what and i could see him getting a lot of resistance from you know hal and and company up there in terms of not spending a lot of money and like you said we've seen cashman swoop in and just last year getting john carlos stanton i mean think of how quick and out of nowhere that picked up and then Mark Teixeira in 2009 so there have been plenty of times when he's surprised I I just think because of other circumstances that I, I'm not I, at, at this point I almost feel like I would be less surprised at the Yankees making a big splash trade for Kluber than I would of them signing either Harper or Machado just because that's the less expensive route and then if that were to happen of course, I would be thrilled to have Kluber, and the starting rotation would be incredible. And then, but then you think about the the infield, and it would be mm-hmm. it would be either Greg Bird and Luke Voigt, DJ LeMahieu, Troy Tulowitzki, and Glaber Torres. There is only one name in that entire infield where I'm like, okay, like he'll he'll be good, and that's Glaber. if the ball's hit to him, I won't freak. <laughs> yeah, and um, so that's 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 rough. I mean, you. you you rattle off those names, and you and you're just almost baffled that the Yankees haven't just swooped in and, and grabbed Machado because you, you hear about some of the offers he's getting, which haven't been many, and the Yankees could easily take on that money. And he's made it clear that he wants to play for the Yankees, and it, I, I don't know, maybe th- this could be wrong, but it just seems like at this point, with how slow things are going, if the Yankees swooped in with, with an offer slightly above you know, what the White Sox have offered, that they would have Machado by day's end. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but I think 
the Yankees probably aren't going to be going there. Let me ask you a question, though. Let's say the Yankees trade for Kluber. They move on from Andujar and, and get Kluber in that deal. And then they go out and sign a defensive whiz at third base, whether it's Hechevarria, I think he's still available, or, mm-hmm. or somebody else. I'm not sure exactly who's there, but I know Hetch was here at the end of the year. He did a good job on defense. With Hechevarria, Tulowitzki, Torres, and you know, whoever at first base. I think they're going to start with Voight at first base and put Bird in the minors to squeeze another year of eligibility of before he could hit free agency and let him kind of sweat it out a bit. I think they'll probably do something screwed up like that. There's no point in carrying both of them on the team, especially with LeMahieu, who could yeah. play first. But anyway, that's just some roster crunching. Would you be comfortable with that if you had a better infield and then a dominant pitching staff? I mean, you still have, you still have Judge, Hicks, um, Stanton and Sanchez and Torres as as plus bats in in the lineup that you're pretty sure about um, Voight maybe as well. You think that's enough offense to pair with a, a pitching staff where you have three guys that could be number one on any team and, and Tanaka who would be your fourth starter as you know a, a very qualified number two. Yeah, I think I would feel. I think I'd. It'd I be would, a different would, direction. Yeah, it, it would. But I mean, think about. Hechevarria and LeMahieu in the same infield with that pitching staff, then all of a sudden you're pretty solid defensively. And, you know, there would definitely be an offensive, a potential offensive regression. I mean, mainly just because Didi's not there for half the season. But I'm also kind of expecting a little bit of regression from Andujar himself offensively this year. I mean, I could obviously be wrong, but that's just just the feeling I'm getting and seems to be the feeling a lot of other people are getting but uh, hey I'd be thrilled to have Corey Kluber I mean come on Kluber Severino and Paxson is the top of your rotation that's I think that becomes the best starting rotation in the league no runs KSP I'm sorry that doesn't work KSP yeah so yeah that's yeah I, I don't know there's a lot of interesting ways they can go um you know, in addition to that, I thought that um, Ricky was very honest about Sanchez. Mm-hmm. And I kind of echo, I think Sanchez, I echo that belief, um, not only in Sanchez, but also in Andahar. I think they're both going to be very hardworking. And uh, um, I think Sanchez is primed for an MVP type season. I think he's going to come back hungry. And I think Andahar actually, um, I, I don't know if he'll have a slump if he actually works on his plate discipline a little bit. We've seen that guys as they get older do improve with plate discipline um but we'll see i mean who knows there's still um a whole two weeks before spring training before wow look at that. plenty of time <laughs> <laughs> so yeah plenty of time this for teams to sign harper machado kimbrell keichel harrison and about 70 other people <laughs> yeah we'll see but um all right, so what what are you looking forward to this week before we uh, record next with another very exciting guest, which we will leave at that until next week. But um, but what are you looking forward to this coming week? Um, I am looking forward to the moment the Super Bowl is over when I can say it's officially baseball season because to me the end of the Super Bowl means it's it's time for time for baseball and, and to get excited for spring training. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to. I probably make that joke every year once I turn the TV off after the Super Bowl. I say it's baseball season, but uh, <laughs> to me it is. That's that's when it's okay to start getting excited about it. And um, I actually I think it was Friday night. I said to my wife, I said I would just I would kill to have a game on tonight to watch because I'm getting I'm getting real antsy for some for some baseball. So um, oh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for that, um, and you know, there's a ton of stuff with the Super Bowl that I'm sure you could take. Um, so I'll let you like answer. eating eating wings and just watching a game, and um, and I, I'm grateful this year that you know, I, actually, it was the case last year too. But uh, I'm grateful that I feel like there's something for me to invest in in this year's Super Bowl, just because I so badly don't want to see the Patriots win again. So I feel like I'll be rooting pretty hard for the Rams. Well, I, yeah, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, so I I think that's what I'm, what I'm looking forward to. See, this is tricky because most of the things that we say we're looking forward to during the week are definitely happening, but I'm looking forward to the tentative 
um, reaction of the Patriots losing a second straight Super Bowl and um, getting to walk around New England in the weeks after and see everyone's disappointed faces. Yeah, that that's that's hopeful. But this franchise has ticked me off enough times where I'm uh, I'm not you know I'm not too excited about it. Uh, I I don't know. Last year though, rooting for the Eagles kind of made me feel dirty. Same really, thing uh, with the. I, I didn't feel that way. I did. I like Nick Foles, but um, you know this year would have been easier because now they have Golden Tate. But you know that that didn't pan out. We, but we like Jay Ajayi. I was I was uh, happy he won last year. Yeah, that's 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 true. Um, but aside from the aside from the two Super Bowls that well, I mean for the ones I was alive for that the Giants beat the Patriots just because I like to root for even though we're Dolphins fans I like to root for the Giants uh, the first one preserved the perfect season my favorite part of the Super Bowl is just keeping up with all the different boxes and eating yeah. that's for me that that's that's the big thing is the box pools and the food so and maybe and maybe a couple good trailers during the commercials maybe we'll see a teaser trailer for the new star wars maybe we'll i some... i just before we start recording was reading that that's not happening i'm not surprised but maybe we'll get some new avengers footage then or something i like heard that, that is, is probable all right well then that's that's what i can look look forward to um so yeah but uh last week i put my my y-wing together as i said i would and then today star wars uh lego dropped that they're coming out with some new sets so i'm very excited oh, yeah about i that. saw there's the the pod race anakin's pod racer is one of them mm-hmm. but um earlier you were talking about um some some ad campaigns and stuff like that with with jeter in it and actually that was my question for you this week this year we got um drowned in um the corazon commercials oh yeah <laughs> yes network aside from corazon what is your least favorite ad campaign that was shoved down our throats either watching the yes network or the mlb playoffs oh man i need some time to think about that um, you can just pick hmm i'm blanking I feel like okay. there was so much Corazon last year. It's like the only one that keeps popping in my head just because All I've right. seen well, it so much. If you go back a couple of years, I know one that you really didn't like, and I didn't really like it either. And I think it was during like the 2010 or 2011 postseason, but they kept playing that Men of a Certain Age commercial. Oh, with Ray Romano. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I hate – yeah. That was so annoying. Yeah. That, that was bad. And when they opened the new Yankee Stadium, they kept playing the commercial for Wolverine, the Wolverine movie that was so bad. I remember oh, I, we yeah. saw that, I, that that image of um, of Wolverine jumping on top of the tank. I feel like that's ingrained in my skull. Yep. Um, so that that was another one that really annoyed me. Oh, and and we've we've already broke down Jeter so much, but this was even longer ago. But Jeter was in a Ford commercial with this little kid. Oh, and yeah, and like Jeter was like wearing glasses, so like they pretended like the family didn't know who he was, but the kid was like, "Are you sure you're not a shortstop?" Like that that was a horrible horrible commercial. <laughs> a lot of those local Ford commercials are pretty terrible. Yeah. Uh, for sure, we could also say the um, uh, the Fullerton commercials that you know they seem to have yeah. a deal with the Yankees. But um, yeah, I thought for sure you'd say men of a certain age because I remember you complaining about it all the time, and I was in agreement with you. So yeah, no, that's not that, shock. I just needed you to remind me of that, and it re my blood's boiling again. That was yeah, that was so terrible because because that show was um because that was when the the. ALDS was on TBS that year, and I think that show was going to be on either TNT yeah. or TBS, so they were just promoting the hell out of it, and mm-hmm. it was just awful. Yeah, well, I mean, we spoke to Ricky today, and, and you know, he said one of the reasons he thinks he's so popular is that he shows so much emotion, and um, I mean, I think that's for sure one of the things that even though at first I couldn't understand what he was saying, I, I was still like, wow, I, I like it when announcers care, and I think Joe yeah. Buck... Um, when he went through that phase of seeming like he didn't get too emotional, that's when I really wasn't a big fan. But now that he's kind of gets into it again, I really like it. Matt Faskurgeon in the same way. Um, but the guys from TBS, man, they always just sound like they have no pulse. And uh, I hope um, they do something to address that because it's it's a tough broadcast to listen to. Yeah, I I always just go back to the Abanez home runs for the, for those. And just you would have thought it was. Did he do it? You bet. <laughs> or even the first one. And we uh, are tied. <laughs> yeah, 
that's those are at, at about that voice level too. Yeah, but anyway. So. All right. Well, um, that about yeah, that about does it for us this week. Well, thanks to Ricky Ricardo for talking with us, and I can't wait to uh, talk to our next guest next week, which we will continue to leave under wraps until that. Yeah, we can uh, start transitioning to to the 2019 season now. I think and start seeing what's what's ahead. I know. I when whenever I publish the podcast, it asks me to write like what season it is, and I've been writing one this whole time. I'm like, I guess I'll officially turn turn it to season two, like after the opening day episode or something like that, or or maybe when like the spring training schedule starts. I don't know. I guess we'll have to talk about that when when we officially turn to season two of Bomber Brothers. Yeah, we could talk about that in our post-production meeting, I guess. Yeah. All right, well, um, well, we can get to that now. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks again to Ricky Ricardo, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. See you, everybody.